and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 24, which is titled Motherhood. The episode aired on May 11th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? We got some more sports news, guys. Let's see how I screw it up this week. Um... <laughs> The Cleveland Indians defeated the Minnesota Twins 10-9 in a 17-inning, 6-hour and 36-minute game. Doesn't even crack the top 10 of longest MLB games played, though, with the longest of which was an 8-hour and 6-minute, 25-inning game between the Chicago White Sox and the Milwaukee Brewers in 1984. And I can even do you one better. Um, it's not an MLB game, so that's why it doesn't count on this list, but there was a minor league game that was played in 1981 between the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings that lasted 33 innings. Jesus. Um, and it was actually played over two days because it the game started um, at about 8.30 at night on the first night. Um, they were delayed because of issues with the stadium lights, so they were late getting started already. And then they were tied pretty much the whole, like, they got they got tied late in the game. And then there was a couple times in extra innings where, like, one team would score, but the home team would tie it up. So, basically, they played until, I think, close to, like, 4 in the morning. Yeah, 4.07 a.m. at the end of the 32nd inning, and more than eight hours after it began, the game was stopped. There were 19 fans left in the seats at the time. <laughs> um, and then they picked it back up. A couple of days later and it was over in like 20 minutes like the, the game was the game finished uh pretty quickly after that but so that was the that was the absolute longest baseball game ever played take me out of the ball game get me <laughs> out of this park um that sounds like a fucking game of quidditch oh my god but then, aside from that, French Kiss debuts at number one in the box office this week. I don't think I've ever even heard of this movie. Nope. Yeah, never. And This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan is still number one song on the music charts. Is this the new Boys to Men? Well, I mean... Don't spoil it. We're me. not going to be with it. We'll be with it through next week, so spoiler alert. <laughs> but, you know, this is the penultimate episode of the season, so we're going to be doing a time skip here in a couple weeks. So we'll get a fresh set of everything. Yeah. Hard reset. So this week's episode, you've got 33.1 million viewers, kind of tracking along with where we were for last week's episode, still kind of in that low 30s neighborhood that we'll be in for the remainder of this season. Um, this episode is written by Lydia Woodward, uh, who has, she's kind of a heavy hitter for season one, especially. Um, she was responsible for make of two hearts uh happy new year she was credited with writing the teleplay for another perfect day um and then she also did going home the rosemary clooney episode Aww. so she's a favorite and this week's episode is directed by quentin tarantino for better or for worse <laughs> um this is very much a i mean once we get into the episode proper i mean this really like it's pretty abundantly clear this is this is a Quentin Tarantino thing. It's kind of got all of his trademarks. You know, we've got kind of some cartoonishly violent sequences, and we've got gratuitous shots of women's feet, and, you know, Clooney says the N-word. Like, there's just all sorts of Quentin Tarantino trademarks in this one. I'm not I'm kidding about the N-word part, but... Okay, um, I just looked at Lizzie completely perplexed at how we missed <laughs> that. Thank you. <laughs> 
So yeah, Quentin Tarantino directing this week's episode, and um, yeah, we'll see as we go along here. That's kind of sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes it's a little bit of a weird thing. So. It's it's a divisive thing. This episode it is a for divisive sure. topic. That's for sure. Yeah, this is gonna be one. I'm gonna say if you aren't watching along like with us while you're listening to this podcast, go back and watch this one because it is honestly, if nothing else, it is one of the most unique episodes of the series in terms of like yes how it's shot and just the dialogue and how everything just plays out. I love it. Spoiler, I love it. My co-hosts are a little bit lukewarm on it. I think but... I think we kind of bridge the spectrum here. I think you really love it. I'm sort of like somewhere in the middle and Lauren is not a fan, but we'll we'll see what what we get out of it. Yeah. Lauren, you look like you have something to say. No, we'll we'll get into it. Okay then. Which I just have to say, it's weird because I'm a big Tarantino fan. I like a lot of his work, but his style it didn't really seem to fit the show to me but we'll get into it i'm just saying that's where i leave off with it should we list some of his movies just in case people need reminding (laughs) yeah i mean uh pulp fiction obviously is kind of reservoir dogs pulp fiction um most recently uh once upon a time in hollywood uh glorious bastards i mean you can kind of you kind of know sort of some of the if you've seen one Tarantino movie, then you, I won't say you've seen them all, but you've at least got some of his sort of little drops and things that he like little uh, flares that he puts into every movie. He's always, like I said, kind of heavy on, on cartoonish to almost to a degree violence. And definitely, like I said, the feet thing, which I find to be his most off-putting trait as a filmmaker. So yeah, I mean, he's got these things that are very signature Tarantino elements, and a lot of them are present in this episode. Not all of them, though. All right. Well, by getting into the episode proper, we open with a sleeping doctor, and it is Susan. Chloe is trying her best to wake Susan up because Chloe thinks she might be in labor? Question mark. And then Susan was just like, uh, are you having contractions? Yeah. How, how far apart? Two minutes. And, and which brings Susan to full attention and springs her out of bed and just makes the next three or four, next the next, the next two or three minutes just pure chaos as, because Susan's like, oh shit, we should be at the ER already. We should all be, you know, we should be doing this at the hospital, not doing this last second. Um, Chloe is looking for her tape player, which is not just a tape player, it's a giant boombox. And... Wants specifically the White Album uh, by the Beatles, in case anyone doesn't know the Beatles, but listen to the Beatles, folks, they're great, which we will have reference to later. And Susan, funnily enough, just in the most 90s technology fashion, has a clapper to find her keys. (laughs) I know, I thought that was such a weird, like, insert there. I, I loved how she was like, Chloe, shut up, stop screaming for a second so I can clap for my keys. Yeah, stop screaming through your labor pains as she's, like, doubled down on the floor just wailing in pain, like you do if you're having contractions. I'm assuming I've never been pregnant. I never will be, so. It's a safe assumption. But then, after frantically getting their shit together, we see them get to the ER, and Susan is screaming for Carter, who is currently sitting at the nurse's station with a cup of coffee, and he promptly falls backwards out of his chair, spilling his coffee all over himself. In true Carter fashion, it is beautiful physical comedy right here. This is just a <laughs> this is just a great episode for Noah Wiley's physical comedy. That I will agree with. He's definitely on his game in this performance for sure. Um, so he's wheeling Chloe to the trauma room so they can get her on a gurney and get her in a gown and everything. Susan calls Coburn 
to let um, her know that the baby is coming, and Coburn is that OB doctor that we've met a couple times now for a refresher in case anyone has forgotten. And Chuni is the nurse on call for this labor. I think this is the first time we've seen Chuni. This is 100% the first time we have seen Chuni. This is um, Laura Saran, Saran um, is, uh, who plays Chuni Marquez, who is um, probably, other than Hale, probably our longest serving nurse character. Like, she will be with us, I think, for the duration. Like, I think she will be here until the end of the show. Um, and this is her first appearance. So she does actually make it into season one. I was getting a little concerned when we hadn't seen her by now. I was like, man, does Chuni not show up till season two? But she just slips in under the tag here into season one. Nice. And holy shit, the baby is crowning. Like, they wasted no time getting here. And Susan is working with Carter to help deliver the baby. And Carter is so sweet during this labor. He's wiping Chloe's brow. He, um, you know, he's talking her through the breathing and everything. And... They're like, get the fucking music on, like, put on the white album. The tapes are in my bag, and he hit, and he puts the music on, and it's fucking rap. He doesn't <laughs> grab the right tape, and then he's looking through the tapes, dumps Susan's purse out, and is like, is this the right one? And Susan's just like, fucking forget it. His mayonnaise an instrument. His mayonnaise an instrument, and um, so then Chloe starts scream singing "Blackbird" while in labor. It's horrifying. This sequence. Almost as much as the O'Brien sequence makes me never want to have children. But I will say, af- after like breathing through it for a minute, it did give me a little bit of chills because Carter was just so sweet encouraging her. And like, you can do it, Chloe. And just automatically right by her side cheering her on. And the baby is born by Susan. Susan helps deliver it. And it is a gooey newborn. She's got uh, some nice chunks. Nah. I will. But... Healthy, happy, little baby, little Susie. Mm-hmm. And we go from there and we open with some bangs. But you know what the end of this scene needs? What? Some of that sweet, uh, smooth R&B stuff from episode one. Oh, <laughs> the, the cheesy um, like R&B. saccharin. Yeah. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> God, how far we've come in just, like, one season. Like, you talk about from one end of the season to the other, one one end of the spectrum to the other. <sighs> but then, after the intro, we have our first audio clip of the episode. We have Susan and Carol talking about little Susie and some stuff about Tag and Tag's family. So, let's give that a listen. Chloe says she looks like me. What do you think? Uh, yeah, well, I, I suppose. Maybe. Deliver my own niece on Mother's Day, no less. Hey, can I hold her? Sure. Hey, little one. <laughs> so, are you and Tag gonna try for kids soon? If we're still speaking after the wedding. Fifteen of his relatives arrived yesterday, a week early, to help us do some things around the house. That sounds scary. Mm-hmm. Yep, when I left this morning, they were planning on painting a bathroom. Okay. Ooh. All right. Goodbye, little one. Gotta get back to work. So Carol seems like she's having a lot of fun. Yeah, oh, and yeah. What, the f- what the fuck, Susan, being like, hey, are you guys having kids right away? Like, Jesus, give them some time to breathe. Yeah. Boy. That whole situation just sounds like a fucking hot mess. I mean, we know it is, but it just... It sounds very 
like sti- not not suffocating like it just very claustrophobic type of situation there yeah and a lot of the stuff that we've heard between carol and tag lately it makes me think like do you two even know each other at all like all of these petty disagreements they've been having it's like was none of this discussed during your relationship what kind of wedding you wanted or anything doesn't sound like it yeah because even before lauren and i got engaged we talked ad nauseum about what kind of wedding we would both want it seems like the um, smart thing to do, like the like responsible thing to do. Maybe I don't know what the right like word is, but just this seems like just, the logical thing to do. Yeah, this just seems like a really bad frame of mind to be in, like days before your wedding. But yeah, and we'll see that play out next episode. Hey, so uh, we check in and see uh, Green and Carter. Uh, second time, I guess, for Carter. First time for Green this episode, um, and they're going up to the helicopter pad. And Mark is in the middle of telling Carter that he got the ER sub-internship. And unfortunately, Carter is still kind of holding out for the surgical sub-I, so he kind of has to hedge his bets here and has to tell Mark, you know, can I think about it? And Mark's like, I need your decision by the end of the day. Um, So Carter finds himself in still kind of a limbo a little bit when it comes to what path he's going to choose going forward, but we will get some resolution on that this episode. Uh, the trauma they are going to collect up on the helicopter pad is a guy with a piece of rebar in his chest, which is just, just horrific. Um, yeah. Um, I think they said he was screwing around at a construction site and fell and landed on this rebar and it punctured his chest. And yeah, it's, it's pretty gross. I didn't get a chance to look at the helicopter pad and see which one we were on as far as if it was actual Chicago proper or not. But, um... Yeah, I didn't pay attention to the surrounding. It looked, like, normal enough, so... Right. And the way it was framed, too, they didn't exactly do the sweeping skyline shot like they normally do. That's true. Yeah, that makes me think it might have been California. Yeah. But um, then we quick go down to the admit station, and Rolando is there, and Doug comes in, and he's like, Rolando, there's a horse in my parking space. And it's just, like, just this weird off joke or something that doesn't really land particularly well between the two of them. And Rolando's like, what do you want me to do about it? And Doug's like, call security. That's why they pay you the big bucks. And then Rolando's like, well, you've got, you know, three junior rangers and seven with constant diarrhea that you need to go take care of. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Hey. 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 And um, yeah, D- Doug just looks rough here. He's got his, um, his uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, because t- Tarantino's directing this episode, he's got his um, from dusk till dawn haircut, like <laughs> his, his like straight cut across his forehead like no it's just like it, it's almost like it's kind of it's like almost like his yeah it's almost like his caesar cut but like a little more disheveled it's just um it's not a good look for him i never was a fan of the caesar cut for uh for Clooney. uh so we get our next trauma coming in we have a um a mensa member who was uh cleaning his bathroom and mixed ammonia and bleach uh always a smart move poisoned himself with chlorine gas um so his girlfriend wife person they never really like specify who she is she's the one that like accompanies him into the er and he's not notable at all uh actor wise but she is her character's name is michelle and the actress who plays her is an actress named angela jones um who this is kind of a recurring theme in this episode she is a tarantino favorite she played um esmeralda valdez in pulp fiction um so she did yeah 
Um, and we'll see a couple of other ones like that um, throughout the episode. People who have been bit parts in, you know, Pulp Fiction or some of some of Tarantino's other movies. Oh, cool. I hadn't even noticed that. That'll be exciting. But no, but no Ving Rhames. Like the the one episode where you would expect we would see Ving Rhames. Yeah. Not here. Weird. Marcellus, no. Okay, this is a this is a dumb question. This episode would have come out after Pulp Fiction, right? Because Pulp Fiction was ninety four, correct? Yes, Pulp Fiction was ninety four. Yeah. Okay. So this would have been, I would say, it probably came out early season one or maybe even before season because it depends on what month it came out in because i think we started in september of 94 so pulp yeah. fiction i'm sure was probably a summer movie that year could be released october 14th 1994 oh okay okay so, so then yeah so it came out shortly after season one began and which that kind of tracks because like I, I think we mentioned when walt first showed up like that comes at a very specific point in Ving Rhames' career where shortly thereafter he would be way too famous to be doing anything this insignificant. And so, you know, that's why we start seeing Walt a lot less is because of the success of Pulp Fiction and he becomes a much bigger star as a result. Yeah. Fair. That's why I was surprised. Actually, I'm glad I looked that up because I was actually really surprised that they were able to actually get that, that A, that Tarantino would actually direct an episode of ER and B, that... Because I thought by this point he was like the guy that he is. Well, now. from from what I read, from what I read, it was very much like the reverse. It was not so much them trying to get him; it was that he was a big fan of the show and wanted to do it, and oh. like kind of campaigned to be able to direct an episode. So it was very much kind of him chasing them. Today I learned. Uh, but getting back into the episode proper, uh, we go back to our rebar trauma. Just gah. Uh, now we actually get like a proper look at what's going on with everything and it's just it's bloody and effect work the practical effect work on this guy's injury is just top notch and disgusting and we get dr hicks for a hot second here we haven't seen you know we haven't seen her in a few episodes i don't think i don't actually remember the last time i think it was when benton was doing all of his switch yeah his shift swapping shift shift switching yeah yeah where she was yelling at him to go take a nap nap exactly um but this patient is 15 years old um they aren't gonna remove the bar until they can actually get a scan and see what it's penetrated what it's damaged what it's just how just how fucked up it is and then we quick switch back over to the ammonia guy and as daniel mentioned he has given himself Chlorine gas poisoning. So there's not really much else to his trauma right now. We just find out that, yep, he's an idiot. He mixed <laughs> chemicals and poisoned himself. So they're going to get him on, get him detox, do whatever they need to do to kind of help him get better. And then we jump over to Doug, who is finally dealing with those Ranger Scouts with diarrhea. And big highlight here is uh, the scout leader is played by Kathy Griffin, a total, like, oh, hey, it's that gal example um and another favorite of tarantino's um tarantino really likes kathy griffin huh um i didn't know that i'm trying i'm I'm like blanking and trying to think of like what i would use as an example for kathy griffin for like movies um because it's it's just it's kathy griffin like you just she's the lady with the red hair and the like really kind of high-pitched voice who tells dirty jokes and just generally kind of makes an ass of herself a lot yeah i mean that's 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 her brand really but so she's the scout leader here um and she's kind of a like know-it-all sort of 
like she kind of has all this information that she's just sort of bombarding Doug with. She su- suspects that the kids have Giardia from contaminated water from their camping trip last week. The kids are in the background sort of like pantomiming, you know, nausea. They're kind of rocking back and forth, holding their stomachs, talking about how they're, you know, Johnny farted and it smells bad and I'm going to puke. And it's all very just like juvenile stuff. And then Doug goes over to examine one of them. And of course, kid on cue immediately pukes all over Doug. And it is super gross. Yeah. And one of the things we noticed with this episode is there's a lot of really close framing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's a very Tarantino thing. And I, again, I'm living here. I'm here living for it. I love the way it sh- this episode shot. No, this episode made me feel incredibly claustrophobic. I didn't feel like we could sink in with any of the scenery at all. And like, as we continue on, it just, it feels very frantic. Like there's not really any good breathing room between scenes. It just feels like we're jumping from one to the other to the other with no real. <laughs> That's like, also very pacing. Tarantino. Yes, but in his movies, there's more room for those things to breathe. Right, because you've got an hour and a half or two hours to let that sort of stretch out and, and breathe a little bit. But here it is very compressed. Because it's not like he's writing this episode from scratch. He has to take it's a it, yeah. He has to take what he has and and people and the right and the main writing crew be like, okay, here's what needs to go into this episode. To finish off the season. Got it? Got it. Cool. So yeah, um, gross children. And then we jump over to Mark examining his first, I believe it's his first, like, actual patient for the episode. Yes, he was in the trauma, but this is his first, like, one-on-one. Um, it's a little girl with a 102-degree fever. She's got a faint heart murmur, um, that she'd had examined before, and the doctor said it wasn't going to be problematic. It's just kind of an asymptomatic little murmur, not a big deal. Mark thinks it's probably the flu. He wants to get her hooked up on fluids and get a spinal tap just to rule out meningitis. And the mom's just like, all right, like, that sounds fine. You know, as long, you know, the heart murmur, they said it wasn't a big deal. So if it's just the flu, that's okay. Let's get her taken care of. And we will come back to them in a little bit. But for now, we go back to just Rebar Guy, I think is just what we're... I don't remember if we ever got his name. I don't think we do. Yeah, Rebar Boy. Because <laughs> uh, he's only 15. So he is now up in the operating room and they're, you know, doing their thing. Benton is operating. Carter is still sitting in the back with his hands held to, to avoid touching anything, avoiding a repeat of earlier this season. <laughs> uh, good on him for learning about that. Um, but Benton asks him if he can really see anything back there. And he's like, no, no. Sort of like in a very matter of fact, like, no, of course not, kind of way. And Benton uh, encourages. Mr. Carter to come in and get a piece of the action and take a look-see and uh, hold a retractor even while Benton uses the bone saw to cut around so they can actually safely extract the uh, piece of rebar. You know, and they're him and... Do we get the name of the other surgeon that's in there? I don't believe so. Never get a name and never get, like, I couldn't find a credit for him either. Yeah. So there's just this other surgeon in there, this mysterious other gentleman, who's talking about a previous patient of his who fell while installing a satellite dish and messed up his signal. So I don't know. I guess that's relevant because I guess he was also supposed to be a joke. He was also impaled, and he said, "I'm a cable man myself." Like, (laughs) cool, awesome. Uh, But Carter gets to do the honors and pull out the piece of rebar and (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) And immediately after this guy, after we get this piece of rebar pulled out of this uh kid he immediately goes into shock and immediately they're calling for the inter- internal paddles and 
we sort of cut away after cut away from it after that that whole sequence is just so very it's very tarantino like there's lots of long lingering shots of the medical equipment and like lights kind of reflecting on particularly like the bone saw and stuff like that like that's a very like i feel like a very like tarantino-esque approach to that scene like it's almost like art a little bit to him like you know he's treating it like there's this like real great significance to seeing all these instruments at work yeah it's it's just i don't know the way this whole episode is shot just feels very impersonal to me and that's fair i could see that i see it in certain aspects of it this particular sequence here i don't necessarily feel that way but i definitely feel about it feel that way about it in other aspects which we'll get to but for now our next scene brings us to our next audio clip, it's uh, Doug and Diane talking about Diane and Jake going house hunting. So let's listen in. Hey. Hey. Nice shirt. <laughs> Occupational hazard. Listen, is there any chance you can get off early today? Jake and I are going house hunting. What's that about? Well, the landlord gave us two months notice. He wants his daughter to move in. <sighs> That's a drag. Dr. Ross, you are coming back in, right? Yes, Wendy, I'm coming back in. <sighs> No, it's okay. I'd like a bigger place, and um, Jake needs a backyard. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, depending on how we feel, there could be room for you. Uh, um, Are you uh, talking about us moving in again? Maybe, you know, at some point. Right, well, you know... Oh, you can stop stuttering, Doug. It's just an Uh idea. I just, I mean... Uh, do you think that we're ready? Well, I think I'm probably more ready than you are, but I'm in, I'm in no hurry. All right, well, you let me know if you find anything today. I'll take a look. Call me later. Okay. Oh, Doug. Oh, so she says Jake needs a backyard. What is he, a golden retriever? He's a kid. Kids, yeah. you want to go play, especially if you're going to be living in the city. It's not like you can exactly play on the street in There's the parks. city. But still, <laughs> like it'd be nice to have, it'd be nice for a kid to have somewhere to run around and have a swing set and do kid things. I don't know. <laughs> Hello, youths. How do you do, fellow kids? It just, I don't know, just the way she says it. It's just like, what is he, a dog? I just child friend Jake. I'm done with him. <laughs> so are we after this episode. Oh, well, uh, I think we might get one more bit with Jake. Fair enough. But yeah, we're we're coming to the end of the leads. The lead, I just have to say, lead eyes. George Clooney, the lead eyes. George Clooney looks pretty good in those plain scrubs. Like we often see him in the white jacket, but I'm feeling the scrubs. I forget. Does he have suspenders on over there? There's, there's no suspenders. That's the strictly okay. Noah okay. Wild thing. Okay. <laughs> That's his trademark. Just gotta clarify for the folks at home. Oh, I will. I will mention when there are suspenders. Okay. There are no you. suspenders in this scene. Just a damn fine George Clooney. Well, that's just a given anytime he's on screen. Anyway, Daniel, what happens next? <laughs> uh, Benton. Uh, we see Benton and Carter. Uh, Benton mentions to Carter that uh, he can scrub in on something later, um, so long as he finishes his charts and labs. And Carter, like the good little lapdog that he is, is like, yeah, 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 I'll do it. No problem. So excited. And then we also... Uh, sorry, one thing before we move on to the next thing. I wanted to ask, how do you two feel about 
Diane offering for them to move in together. Do you think it's too soon? They've only been dating for like four months. I, mean, I feel I feel like she actually handles it pretty well. Like I feel like I feel like she raises the possibility, but clearly gives him an out. Like she's like, you right. do not have this. Don't feel like you have to do this. Like I'm a big girl. You can you know tell me if you're not ready you're not ready yeah. like she i feel like is upfront and honest with him about the circumstances and where they're at and everything like that and it's him as we'll see later on who you know kind of lets his brain get carried away with it and gets himself into trouble but no i think she i think she was well within her rights to bring that up and to present it the way she did right sorry to interrupt daniel i just wanted no to that's fine that. i mean you asking. and i didn't talk i mean you and i talked about that not too long we, we talked about it pretty early i was gonna say nurse nurse jen and i we we moved in together like three months into our relationship four months in ours was a ours was a year but, but ours like, was also under different circumstances where i true. was going to college out of state and it was either move in with you find another roommate or go back to lansing until i found a place now you weren't going to college out of state you were living out of state and then... yes i was going to college out of state because i'm from michigan i was going to college in <laughs> illinois okay the way you made that sound was just i got confused okay yeah so i was going to college out of state i would have gone back to michigan if we had not moved in together anyway (laughs) so we go from uh benton informing carter that he can he can go play in the or if uh (laughs) if he finishes all his chores if he's Uh, a good boy if he's a good boy um and we cut right from that into a, a tough scene here where rebar boy did not make it and they are now having to go tell Rebar Boy's mother that. And the actress who plays Rebar Boy's mother, who would otherwise not really be notable because, like, this is where we leave this story. We're not going to follow up with her at all. But um, she is another Tarantino favorite, so I felt like she was worth mentioning. Um, she's an actress named Brenda Hillhouse, um, and she has um, appearances in Pulp Fiction as well as From Dust Till Dawn with George Clooney which is not a Tarantino-directed movie, but he did write it. So, mm. And what's the language that Benton uses here when he's telling her about her son? Because it comes we, up later. It, it, it does. Uh, we used all of our capabilities is the kind of the, the, the key phrase there. That's the one that's going to kind of haunt him a little bit. The um, company line. The company line, yeah. We used all of our capabilities, but his injuries were too severe and he died. And so... Those words, like I said, they'll kind of come back to haunt Benton a little bit later on. So nothing really much else happens with that. It's just it's important for Benton to deliver that line for something later on. From there, we go over to the lounge where Carol is sitting on the phone talking to Tag. And she says, I do like your mom. I just don't want to have dinner with her three nights in a row. And she's like, oh, come on, Tag, Tag. And then hangs up the phone, looks up, and Susan and Mark are right there watching her, like, be on the phone. And she's like, no, it's it's fine, you know. The weddings are great. The caterer's canceled. The bridesmaid's dresses are late. My relatives are early. And, you know, it's I, this is a really good growing experience. I'm going to become a better person from all of this. And she walks out of the lounge. And then Susan and Mark are just standing there like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I love Susan's Yosemite Sam shirt here. That's another uh, that's another Tarantino trademark. The uh, Yosemite Sam shirt is one, and we I failed to mention it at the beginning, but Blackbird too. That's another kind of Tarantino touch as well. Blackbird is one of one of his kind of signature song choices. 
I'm trying to think when I have heard it in a Tarantino movie, and I don't think I ever have. Yeah, I think with some of these, I think it is personal favorites mm-hmm. rather than, you know, things that he has used over and over again in movies. Um, gotcha. But I'm doing the research for the episode. Like, they they listed very specific things in the episode that were purposeful inclusions by Tarantino, and two of the things that they mentioned were Blackbird and uh, Lewis's Yosemite Sam shirt. Gotcha. Good to know. Well... Next, we have Mark waving Carter into the lounge, and two of them men are going to have a little conversation about some stuff, so let's listen in. Carter! How's Chloe? She's fine. The baby's great. They're staying one more night than home to Mom and Pop Lewis. Oh, so your folks finally gave in? Yeah, guilt's a wonderful thing. See you later. Carter, sit down. So, did you make a decision? Uh, well, I'm grateful for the ER survive, but I guess I'm gonna have to decline. Hmm, Benton came through with the surgical? No, not exactly, not yet, but I think surgery is what I want. More like being a real doctor? No, no, of course not. The surgeons, they get all the glory. We're just a middleman. Don't worry, Carter, you're gonna do great at whatever you choose. Also, Green's kind of a little bit of a dick just before that uh, that clip starts because he ducks out of the way to go get to go knock on the window to get Carter's attention. And when he does, Susan's trying to pour coffee into his mug and he just moves out of the way and it splashes down on the floor. And instead of helping her clean it up, he just goes and sits down on the couch and waits for Carter. Like, it's kind of a little bit of a dick move, I thought. I hadn't even noticed that. Wow, you're right. But this whole this whole. um him rejecting the ER sub-I, I completely forget how he actually winds up in the ER. Because I know next year, I know in, in the at least for part of next season, he's definitely a surgeon. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't I, remember I, how I he feel gets like, into it, though. I feel like I'm getting my wires crossed a little bit with Scrubs. Because Scrubs kind of goes through a very similar arc with J.D., Zach Braff's character where he want he initially you know thinks about being a surgeon and then kind of goes more into just straight medicine and I feel like there's a an arc involved in one or the other either ER or scrubs where he has to like sort of repeat a year or repeat something because he switches from surgery to uh, medicine but again I'm I feel like I'm getting my my signals crossed between those two shows so I'll have to see how that plays out um, as we go along here. But for now, uh, we get introduced to Mrs. Lewis, Mama Lewis. Ugh, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't have the same ring as Mama Benton. Uh, Cookie Lewis. Yeah, Cookie Lewis, which I've never liked that name, just Cookie. Like, I've always found that to be a weird name for a person. But yeah, we're introduced to her as basically just a pair of legs with flowers and balloons. We're not, we don't get to see her face for a little while, which really led me to believe that she was going to be somebody more famous. And then when she's revealed, I was just sort of like, oh, I guess kind of like, but she's not, she wasn't like the famous type of face that I was expecting to see, given that we spent so much time obscuring her face. But Cookie is played by an actress named Valerie Perrin uh, with notable appearances in the original Superman, both one and two, the Christopher Reeve Supermans, the Lenny Bruce biopic Lenny, and the Mel Gibson classic, I guess you could call it, uh, What Women Want. Um, yeah, (laughs) so, um, 
classic with heavy quotation marks on there. Yes, yeah. What women want. Anti-Semitism. So Susan and Chloe's mom here is just a, a treat of a woman. She um, she sucks real hard. Um, she's probably my least favorite side character we've gotten so far, other than maybe Chloe. <laughs> she's like She gives Chloe... It, it's like now you see why Chloe's the way she is, is because you're introduced to this woman. She tells Chloe, you know, that seeing little Susie almost makes me glad you got yourself knocked up, which is a lovely thing to say to your daughter. Uh, she brought a tray of ham and cheese for Chloe, um, which Chloe immediately starts picking up and like playing with very childlike, like picks up two rolls of ham and like uses them as binoculars. Just like the whole family dynamic here is real fucked up with these three. Like I can't even imagine what that household must've been like when Susan and Chloe were kids, like just so dysfunctional. For sure. It's um, just all the sniping between the three of them too. Like, Chloe and the mom going back and forth and then Susan trying to play mediator. It's just like, it's a very clear illustration of what that house would have been like. Yeah. And then we flip over to Doug and a mom very close up to a girl's face with the special light. And again, this is another one of those close ups where it's just like very, very tight frame on the two of them. And it looks like the girl has like a sting on her face or something. And the mom's insistent that her daughter is allergic to bees because the mom is allergic to bees like just of course that's how this works you know and Doug's like no it's not always genetic let me go get something to to check and she's just like oh I doubt like she just essentially is like I doubt you know anything like you know think you know everything she's just doubting everything he says and just really kind of a bitchy mom like she (laughs) is she is the epitome of a Karen before Karens became a thing I bet she's an (laughs) anti-vaxxer yikes but yeah, so Doug walks away, and I can't remember who he walks past, but he goes, trade ya. I think it's Carter. It might be Carter. Carter's Carter. Oh, yeah. Right, right behind him. And just quickly, um, just I made note of this just because I thought the character's name was funny. Um, Mrs. Sandberg, which I feel like has to be a reference to um, Ryan Sandberg, the Chicago Cubs second baseman at the time. Was he still active in 95, I think? I do not remember. I know he retired early and then came back. Um, but anyway, Brian Sandberg, famous Chicago Cubs. So I feel like Mrs. Sandberg here has to be intentional. Um, but played by an actress named Elizabeth Normant with um, appearances in Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and House of Cards. Uh, not last week's episode, but or a couple episodes ago, but the Netflix drama. Um, and then unfortunately, she passed away in 2014. But yeah, so when, when Doug says, oh, you want to trade? He's walking past Carter who is working on a mom who passed out and fell over after drinking too many mimosas at a Mother's Day brunch. Carter's like, nah, I'm good. And he's like tilting her and yelling in her <laughs> ear. And she is totally zonked. I love his line read there of too many mimosas. Like he like yells like, at her. Like right in her ear. Again, just a great Noah Weil episode. It's I, I think it's arguably the most relaxed I think I've ever seen Carter to this point in the yes. er like he is very much in his element there like to a degree that we haven't seen before like benton's giving him instructions and rather than looking looking like overwhelmed or stressed out or anything he's just like yeah okay i'll get to it like it's it's kind of nice seeing the gradual transition of carter yep we're getting out of baby carter for real now and then we cut back over to Joni and Mar- and dr green uh Joni does not have meningitis. Yay! Uh, but 
she might have pneumonia or early heart failure, so they may have to, they're gonna have to make her take her nail polish off um, after they detect a, a variation on the heart murmur that she originally that they originally found out about. Um, they say she could have endocarditis, which is in a, which according to Mark is an infection around the heart valves, which sounds terrifying. But how did you get endocarditis? Do you remember? It was an infection no, in the bloodstream, right? Like it. It's from it's from a dental cleaning. That's right. That's what it was. Yeah. He asked if she's had dental bloodstream. work lately. And it infects the the valves around your heart. Oh, thanks. Gross. Take care in of your teeth. In case any of us wanted more reasons not to go to the dentist. But take care of your your teeth, kids. Like yes. But then we go over and Doug's in the little supply. Um, room with that open half door and Linda leans in and she starts flirting with him and why is she all of a sudden back um but she's like oh you know I just closed a huge thing you want to come you want to come drink with me and my family whatever and he's like nope I'm good I'm all right got plans whatever she goes "Ooh, you're being good but I knew you when you were bad like i hate how they're trying to turn linda into this like awful woman (laughs) for trying to tempt doug away she's just horny yeah but i'm just saying like wouldn't you be horny for doug clooney i mean yes doug clooney Clooney. (laughs) (laughs) not so much doug clooney but um but no i just i hate how they essentially bring her back just to make her a villain yeah i guess i can see that i mean She's gone from on her best day. Well, I guess she did have one good day, Blizzard. That was she was moderately useful then. But I'm holding her to that standard. But like other than that, she was a fairly like insignificant, forgettable character. So it's not like she was ever this like beacon, but she also wasn't awful either. So yeah, you're right. It is sort of like they've kind of jobbed her out bringing her back here just to make her basically like you said evil. Just a temptress. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just. I'm kind of. Who's I, I was kind of done with her character before, even though we didn't get a, a resolution on their relationship, and we all sort of moaned and groaned about that for a while. But I think that was more about us just being pedantic about the continuity than it was about actually wanting to see any sort of resolution with them. Because I don't think any of us really cared that much about their relationship. We knew that wasn't going to last. So yeah, I'm good. Uh, so we get our next trauma. Uh, a guy comes in passed out cyanotic um he was <laughs> he was i thought this was a fun little inside bit uh he uh w- the paramedic says that he was eating the like breakfast or brunch special or whatever at chulox which uh i guess is a restaurant in town but the name of that restaurant chulox that has to be a reference to chris chulock who's one of the writers on the show that who's written several of the episodes that we've covered thus far so i feel like that was a a little wink and a nod thing for for the writers um but they get him into the trauma room uh carter is not able to innovate him um and we noticed too that that benton has been asking carter to do a lot of basic stuff today almost like he's testing him or like you know seeing where he's at in his sort of independence and i feel like that is definitely tangentially related to the surgical sub eye like he wants to know kind of where he's at before he really kind of commits to him full force and we'll, and we'll see where that goes as the episode goes on but then we get 
my favorite character so far, Cookie, who just barges in in the middle of the trauma and wants to talk to Susan while she's literally in the middle of a trauma. Like there's a guy choking to death on the table and Cookie wants to chat. Great. Right. Super cool. So Carter is able to remove from this guy's throat. I was expecting like we're going to get like a piece of meat or we're going to get like something like food related um, that's going to be the obstruction here. But no, it is his retainer. And that's somehow <laughs> 10 times more gross. It's like the sound work, like the Foley work on it is really gross because it makes that like teeth clicking kind of sound as it's being removed from his throat. It's so fucking gross and I hate it. I still have dreams about my retainer that I've like left it in or something. <sighs> I was fortunate I never had to do the retainer or braces. But yeah. No thanks. Yeah, I had to have one, and then I also had to have bottom spacers for my for my two fake teeth. It was a whole thing. I had braces for far too long. It was miserable. But I also want to note, again, whose fucking films are these on the backboards? <laughs> I wonder. Again. If, we should go back and do a comparison. I wonder if they're the same films from last episode. Like, if they just, like. <laughs> that'll, that'll be my season one recap project, is I'm just going to look and see if they just keep the same films up every time. <laughs> Again, it'll be an inside God. joke. It'll be like a, you know, toy car up the butt or something. What? I said it'll be like an inside joke. They'll have like, they'll have the same like films and they'll be like cartoonish type of things. Like they'll uh, have like okay. a toy car up somebody's butt or something, you know, like. Sorry, I thought you were saying toy car up the butt was another inside joke that I should know about. No. And I was confused. But yeah, so I just wanted to point that out that the films are up again when he's had no scans and nothing has been done. And then we have Cart. After that, we have Carter going in to check on a woman that check on the woman that Ben sent to work on. The old woman. He initially greets uh, Ethel is not the patient <laughs> and says, "Oh no, it's my mother." And and this older woman, <laughs> Ada, is and uh, yeah, Ada's a little dead. Yeah, D E D dead. Dunk. Yeah, like just slumps and falls over and falls off the the bed that she's on yeah and she's she's very dead ethel is like eight out of ten old and ada is 12 out of 10 old like this is not just like oh yeah it's my an older woman with no there's like an old ass woman and then she's like my mother that's super old and for this next scene, we have our next audio clip. Uh, we have Cookie and Susan talking about uh, Chloe and the baby. But just keep in mind throughout the throughout this entire scene, in the background, you'll hear a little bit of it in the audio. You'll hear Carter scream for help for a code blue because, you know, the woman's either dead or dying and they need to try to resuscitate her. Um, but, like, this is just, like, a static shot with Cookie on one side susan on the other and then you can just see in the background in the center all of this chaos and all these doctors running for the room and nurses and you see benton at one point dragging a crash cart into the room too so let's listen in so what did you need i can't do it susie i can't take the baby and i can't take chloe somebody else i, I know i said i would but i just can't and Mom. quite honestly i don't think it was fair of you to ask me i mean it's not fair to me and you should have known better mom i mean you know, the, the crib's not going to be up in time. The, the wallpaper isn't right in that room. Uh, your father and I still might take that cruise in Alaska this summer. And so I just think you better make other plans. Mom! 
What happened? Did Chloe say something, do something? No. So you're just changing your mind after agreeing to do this? Is that it? Yes. Well, what the hell am I supposed to do with her? She doesn't have any money. She doesn't have a, a place to live. This is your granddaughter we're talking about. Susan, don't you throw that in my face. Now, I did my best with you girls. But I just, I can't do it again. I don't want to do it again. I had my kids, Susie. I'm done. Now... I have to stop by the market on the way home because we're out of beer. You know how your father hates it when we're out of beer. I hate this woman. Yep. And I hate her fucking jacket, too. It makes too much noise. I didn't realize it until we listened to the audio clip, but yes. <laughs> it's so bad. It's like whatever the opposite of ASMR is. Like, it's my hell. Yeah, way to, way to, way to bail on your daughters there. A-plus parenting. Not so great. I just, ugh, I hate her so much, like, and her voice, just all of it. And the fact that she's just like, yeah, no, I'm good. Good luck. Bye. So then, on a completely just, this one is a perfect shot, and I'm so glad it happens, and you can see why. But Susan and Carol are then sunning on the roof. They've got their shirts, like, rolled up, and they've got sunglasses, matching sunglasses on. And Susan asks Carol, you know, where are you going on your honeymoon? Carol says, Tag's going to Paris. I'm going to Hawaii. You can leave Chloe and the baby with his 15 cousins. This whole thing is just such goals. They just look, just, they've just given up. They're just done for the day. They're just super slouched over and just like, where are you guys going on your honeymoon? Yeah. Just very 90s apathetic relaxed. <laughs> and I love it. Um, I think they've noticed that we're gone. Probably. Think we should head back. Probably. Just like they're just over it. They've both just had such days already and they're just done. And um, then we see Chloe wandering the ER carrying little Susie. And Doug, Doug walks by and he's like, oh, hey, Chloe. And he scoops up little Susie and he's holding her and he's like, oh, my gosh, she's so cute. But, you know, you really shouldn't have a baby down here so soon. And she's like, no, she likes it. It's fine. Just have her have your baby build up your immune system early, right. I guess. Uh. Yeah, don't do that. Just don't do that. She's breastfed once. That's got all the antibiotics and stuff that you need in the baby system, right? Right? Totally. We should, I mean, I don't know if we should mention, but like I will mention uh, with the scene of uh, Lewis and Carol up on the roof, like that is the signature Tarantino touch there of the, uh, the shot from the perspective, like of their feet, like from their feet up. Like that dude's mm. got real weird hangups and I would like him to get therapy for it but moving on from that we uh get a girl who gets dragged into the er vomiting blood uh she gets brought in by her boyfriend they both look real fucked up uh the girl's name is nina i couldn't find credits for either one of them but nina's real fucked up um she's overdosed clearly on something uh, boyfriend thinks it might be speedballs um which kind of is a little bit of that's a plot point i guess in um in Pulp Fiction, you know, the, the kind of scary overdose with Uma Thurman and um, she takes some heroin and snorts it like it's cocaine and fucks herself up. So we're, we're kind of like thrust into this whole thing with a lot of close ups and, and you you see a lot of the like blood coming out of her nose and mouth and stuff like she's really in a bad way. And Chloe is also so we're almost seeing all of this from Chloe's perspective, 
while also simultaneously getting a lot of close-up shots of Chloe as the the walls sort of start to close in on her a little bit. And she's seeing kind of what a scary world it is. And like, she's now viewing this from the perspective of a mother rather than just a carefree kind of free spirit that she's been before where nothing bad could ever happen and she's in control. And you know, this is, this is fine. It's a little different now that she's got little Susie. And and so we see her start to like kind of get overwhelmed and she kind of tears up a little bit. And then Connie walks by and she, asks her to take the baby up to the nursery and just kind of kind of looks shell-shocked by what she's just seen. Yeah, it's actually a surprise to see Chloe scared for once. It doesn't happen. Yeah. And then we go to Mark checking in with Joni's mom because we find out that Joni has to have a valve replacement. And Mark reassures her that it's completely normal surgery. The guy who's here does it all the time and, like, that she'll be in and out and it'll be fine. I feel like you'd have a really hard time convincing me that replacing one of my heart valves is routine. I mean, they fused your spine, and that's pretty routine. No, my body's doing the fusion. They just replaced a disc in there. Point is. And slapped a metal plate over the whole thing, and they're like, yep, we're good. Point is, they did it. It's routine. A lot of weird shit is routine these days. (laughs) It's not routine to me. You would also just expect, too, that Mark would maybe have retired the it's routine phrase after the events of a few episodes ago like you would think that maybe he would have just stopped treating anything as routine and would just say yeah well we're gonna do it and it's it'll probably be fine like just you know hedge his bets a little bit not be quite so confident well he's not doing this thing i guess so yeah but speaking of people doing their thing um Susan and Carol in the next scene are walking down the hall just looking like I love Pulp Fiction I love Reservoir Dogs I love Reservoir Dogs but honestly you could have you could slide Susan and Carol into either one of those movies with Mm -hmm. the look they just have going on there and I would totally be here for it yep very Reservoir Dogs walk exactly and with the sunglasses and it's just uh I love it I love it I mean you see Susan's nipples too, like, <laughs> like yeah. there's some clearly some nip nip throughout through those shirts. Yeah, those shirts are real thin, chilly yeah. in that ER. And yeah, there not... is no padding in those bras. Yeah, Carol, you don't really see anything, but yeah, you do. A li- much. I don't less, even. Much, I don't even think she is. I don't even think it's a thin bra. I don't think she is wearing a bra. I think she got pulled out of yeah, bed. Yeah, that. And... Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's a bra there, but but yeah, some some Susan nip nips. And then we cut open the. What? I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because my family listens to this show, <laughs> and we're talking about nipples. Hi, mom. Hi, Lauren's mom. Hi, Lauren's sister. Nipples. <gasps> <laughs> so, do we want to play the clip? I think we should play the clip. Yeah, I think we should. Because uh, you know who else is here? Chloe, who's crying on the stairwell. So let's listen in as Susan tries to comfort her. Hey, Chloe. What are you doing here? What happened? What's wrong? Baby is so small, Susie. And I just started thinking about all the bad stuff that can happen, you know. How do I keep it from happening? 
What are you talking Mom about? Mom and Dad couldn't keep it from happening. Nothing's <laughs> going to happen. The baby's fine. She's, she is now, but... Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm just scared. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll feel better when I get home. Even if it is with Cookie and Henry. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you'll feel better when you get some sleep. <laughs> get up to your room, and I'll come see you later, okay? Thanks, Susie. <laughs> Chloe's just... A mess. Yeah. Chloe's a bit of a mess here. But will she grow up from this? Yeah. Nah. I mean, eventually, but... Yeah, but not that much, though. <laughs> like, That's true. She's still pretty much a hot mess the whole way through, but now she's just a hot mess with responsibilities. With a human life to take care of. Yeah, no big deal. Oh, dear. No big deal. So then we get uh, Green calling uh, Susan and Peter down for help. Um, and as we kind of make the transition with the camera, um, we hear we overhear Hicks and Benton arguing about something. And you can very distinctly hear the word, the sentences, the phrases. Um, I've trained this guy all year from Benton and the decision is made from Hicks. So we're left to assume that they're talking about Carter's sub eye, um, which I, th- I think is also kind of a a little bit of a Tarantino trademark as well. The kind of interwoven storylines and like leaving you little nuggets here and there to address things that are going on elsewhere. Um, so I did think that was a nice little touch. Um, this is by far, I think kind of the sort of oddest trauma that we get in this episode. It's a couple of, I guess, I guess gangbangers. Like they, they make a point of mentioning their street names, which I thought was weird. You have two women, um, Rosario Gutierrez is one of them with the street name of La Puppet, who's got a stab wound to the chest, and then um, another another woman named Angelina Figueroa with a gunshot wound to the head. They get her into the trauma room, and she's already got like gray matter all over her hair. She's fucked. She's real fucked up. Carter is working on the stab wound victim who's got a collapsed lung, so he's trying to reinflate her lung. She jumps up screaming, like, let me go, and points over at the other girl and is like, let her die. They start pumping her full of sedatives. Other girl's got uh, blown pupils. She's not responding to stimulus. They uh, do a very Tarantino shot of her foot um, as they do uh, a reflex test on her foot. They have, like, this metal implement that they brush across her foot um, to see if it twitches. I, for, I think it's called a Babinski reflex um, or stimulus. I forget exactly what it's, um, but it, it indicates brain function basically and like whether you can respond to a stimulus. And then there's a third girl who shows up screaming at the, um, this is all very confusing. Third girl shows up screaming at the stab wound victim about her ear being cut off. Carter's just kind of sitting back like, amazed at what he's seeing and like taken aback by the whole thing and Benton has to like snap him back into reality and then Jerry bursts in for some reason and and tells Benton that the nursing home is on the phone and it's about Mama Benton and that it's urgent so he has to run off and 
it's just so chaotic and like then there's there's fighting going on over the ear thing and we find out she brought the ear with her eventually the whole thing is super weird very tarantino with all the like kind of the the ear thing i think i feel like that had to have been a little bit of a callback to reservoir dogs Uh, yeah i thought the exact same thing um it's just a very kind of strange strange little sequence here um carter sees through the door he sees benton slam the phone down and run off and then they eventually get both girls upstairs what a ride this whole sequence is just an absolute clusterfuck yeah it's it's a lot to take in and this is one of those prime examples of just how frantic this whole episode is like when this came up i told lizzie as we were taking notes i was like i don't even know where to start right i don't even know what's important for this i don't even know like what the key takeaways are going to be and it was just it was really hard to track I liked it, though. But then we have a quick cutaway uh, to Hicks telling Carter in very, very clinical fashion that, unfortunately, he did not get the surgical sub-eye. A more qualified candidate had applied. She's very diplomatic here. Exactly. Very, like, thank you. Uh, very thanks. Very thanks, but no thanks. Kind of <laughs> like if someone's, like, rejecting you for a job. I was just going to say the rejection email for a job. Although we value your input and your blah 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 blah, yeah, we thank you the time. We thank you for taking the time to interview us. Unfortunately, Kindly get fucked. Exactly. Gotten a bunch of those in my day. All right. Yeah, and then we're back in like one of the trauma rooms, and it's Mark, Carol, Susan, and Doug. And Doug's like, "Hey, Big Susie," and everybody's like, "What, Big Susie?" what and they start making fun of the nickname and then malik jumps in and they're all cheering at him for being able to suspect to um hold down the girl who got her ear cut off and get her under control until security got there and we find out that she needs to be checked out and none of them want to do it (laughs) (laughs) the starting nose tackle for the chicago bears i think that's what they call him malik Oh boy. All right. So let's get ready to bring the mood down. Mama Benton is dead. Dun, no. Dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, so Peter comes running into the nursing home down this very long, like almost like church like hallway. And he gets met by the physician who uses the exact same language. We utilized all of our capabilities and yada, yada, yada that he used earlier in the episode. And the the sound kind of fades out. And what I thought was sort of weird is that like, as soon as she finishes telling him all that, rather than like walking him into the room or like doing literally anything, the doctor just walks away. <laughs> like, like it's almost like she just passed him in the hallway and was like, Oh, Hey, by the way, your mom's dead. Catch you later. Like, she's Hi. just... I, yeah, like, it's just very, like, jarring the way she just says her piece and then walks away. Um, but so Benton goes in to sit with Jackie and Mama Benton. He passes the nieces and the nephews on the way in, asks if they're okay. Goes in, in there. Mama Benton's laying. They've got... They've, you know... I think if she had gone into cardiac arrest, I feel like they would have done life-saving procedures and stuff so i feel like everything would have gotten really torn up so they either a forgot about all that when they were doing all the set dressing and just had her very nice and neat or continuity wise they took the time to like redress the room and like 
have her look presentable before they brought the family in, which is probably more likely. But yeah. uh, Mama Benton's just laying in the bed. Jackie's sitting at the window looking out. And it's just a bleak, bleak scene here. You know, you've got the room is just very kind of sterile looking. The balloon next to the corpse is kind of weird i did point out that mama benton is still very much breathing like you can see those <laughs> you can see those covers moving she's uh, trying and i missed it she's trying real hard i mean bless her she is working real hard trying not to make her stomach move but it's it's just not she can't do it like so <laughs> and part of that is because we're seeing it in hd and everything so i'm sure on broadcast tv it wasn't noticeable but um yeah this is just a whew, this is just a beast of a scene like just this is Benton's entire world basically crashing down around him and it's gonna get even worse for him as we'll see as we get to the end of the episode yeah it's it's a rough one and then in our next chapter of me trying to get every single piece of relevant Mark and Doug audio (laughs) we go out to the basketball court and have a little conversation about Doug and Carol it's a different basketball court it's not it's not the good one it's not the alley one yeah she's right yep I thought you were off at eight. I'm on my way home. I thought you and Jen were having dinner. She's running late. So you in the mood to give a little personal advice? Not really. Diane's thinking about us moving in together. Sorry, Doug. I'm not going to touch that one. Well, did you and Jen live together before you got married? She says we barely live together now. <laughs> the answer is no. Her dad would have killed us. So you bowed to the Reverend's wishes? I try not to look at it that way exactly. So what are you going to do? I don't know. Did you know when you were ready? Yeah. Does that mean if I don't know, then I'm not ready? (laughs) That's what I thought. Does your lack of readiness have anything to do with Carol getting married next week? What's that supposed to mean? It might be liberating. Does your lack of readiness have anything to do with me making this next shot? Yes, completely. Okay. If I make it, you're ready. And if I don't, you're not. For the record, he missed the shot. (laughs) And shout out to Clooney, who makes it through that entire scene and never misses a shot with no cuts and no fancy trick trick photography like the the basket and his hands are in frame the whole time and never once misses a shot it's just yeah doug uh why are we talking about doug and carol again thought we were over this shit gotta start bringing it back around somehow gotta get him to seattle somehow that's right gotta land that plane literally (laughs) but we will see that play out just a little bit in a little bit but for our next scene we have Carter going in to see Susan and little Susie in the nursery and let's listen in to their conversation. Look, those are the stars. That's the little dipper. And that's the big dipper. And I don't know the names of any of the others. But we'll find out, okay? Doug Lewis? Carter, do you know the names of the constellations? No. Well, there's, uh, 
Mo. And over there's Larry. And that's got to be Curly. <laughs> You're worse than I am. <laughs> She's adorable. I've delivered so many babies. I've never realized how little they are. Look at her hands. I'm sorry you're not doing the ER sub I, Mark told me. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, maybe I made the wrong decision. If surgery's what you want. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking that uh, maybe the ER is really what I want. What do you think Dr. Green would say if I told him that I changed my mind? Well, I think he'd say it's too late. He offered it to go wrong. I suppose she said yes. I think so. What was that? A baby burp? Oh, yeah, little one. You look sleepy. Yeah, we should put you down. Having a little uh, regret there, Carter? God. <laughs> I like I'm how just... he still won't admit, though, that, like... No, all my options dried up. I fucked up. It's like, oh, no, maybe that's really what I want. Like, no, you got rejected for your other thing there, my guy. And uh, how are we feeling about the suspenders? They're great. They work. I'm having feelings about Noah Weil. <laughs> I love him. Wiley. I'm going to call him Weil for just as often as I can to make you mad now because you correct me every time <laughs> and I still won't remember it. It's the dude's name. <laughs> but either way, he's great. They're great. I ship it. Why aren't they together? I love them. And the suspenders. So, yeah. Jen finally shows up because Mark had noted that she was running late. And of course, Mark has a seven-year-old crashing that he has to deal with and asks her to wait. So Joni is crashing as they get her ready for surgery. So she's like, okay, fine. She just walks away to go sit down somewhere. Cool. Love the dress she's in, by the way. Speaking of great fashion this episode, (laughs) she's killing it. She's also very tiny, like, waist-wise. Like, I didn't... I don't think I had ever picked up on that before. Like, she's very, very tiny around the waist. So, are we ready for peak, what might be peak trash Doug for this season? Like, I don't know. It's either this or when he crashed. Really? It's either this or when he crashed the um, the engagement party. I think the engagement party wins, but this is definitely a close Th- second. This is yeah. close second, yeah. This is, so, I think we see Diane first parking her car, yeah, and she's walking walking towards Doug's place and then the door opens and we see Doug and Linda come out and she's laughing and oh no uh Diane immediately flips shit rightfully so um immediately flips shit and starts walking away she kind of yells a little bit first and then starts walking away and Doug you know runs after her and basically confirms that yes he did cheat on her with Linda because he was scared about them moving in together because that's a totally normal reaction and not at all childish. Um, definitely don't have an adult conversation about it. Definitely go and bang your ex-girlfriend to sort out your feelings, I guess. I don't know. Like, dude, yeah, the what are fact you doing? That he's like, the fact that he's like, it's your fault because you asked me to move in is such right? bullshit. Like he, that's why, that to me, I think is why this takes the cake for me as peak trash Doug for this season, because like, yes, that was a dick move of him to crash the engagement party, but you could argue that that's a misguided passion thing of like, he truly loves her and that he is acting irrationally and being stupid and selfish and whatever this though, this was like victim blaming. (laughs) Like, yeah, this was like, no, this is your, you made this happen. I'm not at fault here. It's because you 
cornered me and also gave me an out that I chose not to take. And like, dude, like he just, I think he really sucks here. And I, this is, I think this is easily the most disappointed in Doug I've been this whole season up until now. And this is also the last time we will ever see Diane Leeds. So she goes out with a bang, literally. Uh, hey. Yeah. This, this is it for Diane. And I think, like I said, I think we do get a brief mention or appearance of Jake in the next episode. But that's then that's it for him, too. But, yeah. Not not a good look for Dougie. So then we quick flip over. Joni is finally going up for surgery. And... The surgeon is talking to her mom, and he is so reassuring and warm and great. And I really wish we got to see more of him because, like, he's just such a warm character. And he's like, no, I've done this plenty of times. Like, she'll be fine. The waiting room's right down the hall. You'll be okay. We got this. So our next couple scenes both have audio clips attached to them because they're both, I think, pretty good. Um, uh, First one sees us with Carol and Jen eating pizza that looks old as stale, old and stale as hell. Ugh. Like it's hard. Like that pizza looks like it's been out sitting out for like at least four hours. I still would. I still would too, but it just it looks stale as hell. I know. It's not something you'd want on screen. Yeah. And also of note, referencing back to our candy bar from. earlier this season and the diet cola can exactly there's two cans of soda on the counter and one says diet cola the other one clearly says just normal coca-cola like not diet coke diet cola (laughs) and i just why have one and not the other i don't know it little thing i'm gonna get pedantic about some things (laughs) (laughs) it's fun isn't it two can play at that game i love it it's great it's fun do it Fine, maybe I will. But let's listen to their conversation first. Oh, it was a total myth that it's the bride that wants to splash your wedding. How big is the church? Well, it's too small for the 3,000 people on the groom's side. I'm too big for the 12 people on mine. <laughs> he invited everyone he ever met. So did mine. A nightmare. His relatives at every motel for 20 miles. How'd you go through it? Drugs. <laughs> Hi, what's going on? Premarital advice. Oh, she's telling you about how I wanted to elope, but she insisted on Notre Dame. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry about dinner. I'm in a patient, Mark. She was supposed to go up hours ago. There were complications and then the usual. These things happen. What are you gonna do? It's getting late. We should get going. Come on. cannot decide if she's like making an effort to try harder and like work out their issues and like be more understanding of where each other is coming from or if she's just hit that like calm before the storm serial killer level of violence where she's like no it's fine and then she shoots him with a shotgun the second they're out the door a little bit of both yeah i saw i grabbed the the second half of that with with her with jen and mark talking just because it seems like that was a huge sticking point with a lot of the reason why they broke up in the first place was Mark overworking and Mark doing all of that, you know, staying super late every night. And I was actually surprised to see them not fight about it here. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. They're walking on eggshells. It's just like Jen, just like gritting her teeth. Like it's fine. I swear. Okay, let's go. Yeah. It was, 
I don't know. I just, I'm so uncomfortable with the idea of them trying to make this work because it so clearly doesn't. And yeah, it's just like nails on a chalkboard. Anytime I see them together now, just cut your losses. Yeah. All right. And then we got two scenes left in the episode. One, uh, We'll have our little audio. We'll have our audio clip for it. So it is a little bit longer one because it is uh, a little bit slower paced. But uh, Jeannie has shown up to visit uh, Peter to pay her condolences to Mama Benton. Peter. All of our capabilities. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> Said those words. I don't know how many times. Never actually heard them until today. I'm sorry, Peter. Jackie, uh, Jackie brought the kids home. Way past dinner time. I told her I'd stay here and, you know, finish up. You know something? I, uh. prepared for this no one's prepared they said we could come back tomorrow and uh, pick up our things and you know that beside her Just for a moment, you know, just a second, I guess. I thought I could stay here forever. <laughs> but I can't do that, can I? Me. I can't hold her. Lauren, tell us your feelings. You seem to have the most feelings about this scene when we did the notes. First off, I felt this scene so much more just in audio than I did with the visual with the way Tarantino chose to frame it. We get the whole scene shot with Peter's back to us with him looking in a window, and we see his face in the reflection a little bit, but it's just... It takes all of the emotion and the depth out of the scene for me, the way Tarantino to chose to frame it. Like, when we watched this last night, it could have been a total tearjerker for me, and it did absolutely nothing. Hmm. Hearing it over audio today, I felt more than I did watching it last night. What about you, Daniel? I don't know. I've, I go back and forth on it. Like, I, I see what Lauren's talking about, that it maybe would have, maybe could have had more impact had we been able to see his face you know, f in full view rather than just the, the, the reflection thing there, I think was, I think it was an interesting choice, which I feel like is, I've said that about a lot of things in, in this week's episode. Like there's, there's a lot of very interesting choices and very like there, he's clearly trying something there and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I appreciate that it's at least a different take than what we 
would expect and what we've we come to know as kind of the standard angles on things so you could argue whether or not it has the desired effect but i think it's i think it's nice that we at least tried something different with a a take on a scene like this so i don't know i i don't hate it but i can see where lauren's coming from too yeah i'm sort of you pretty much summed up my exact feelings on it like i think it's interesting in how different it is that's about it Mm mm-hmm I'm glad we finally get to hear and kind of see Peter break and that we're finally seeing the true depth of his emotion on this one. But yeah. And then also worth noting, I don't know if anybody said this or not, because my brain just zoned out a little bit. Jeannie smooches him in a moment of comfort. And not like a friendly, like on the forehead or on the cheek. That's mouth to mouth. Yeah. (laughs) It's not like a French kiss, but like she clearly is kissing him on the mouth. And holding him, trying to comfort him. And I'm glad they don't, like, linger on it and turn it into a makeout session. It's just, it's a very sweet, comforting kiss in the moment. But then you realize, ah, shit, she's married. Ah, no. Whoops. Bulentin strikes again. Bulentin. But technically, she started it. That's true. Hey. And then she, don't they, like, hold hands right after that? Yeah. Like, she kind of, She like, holds his hand and they, they do the forehead-to-forehead thing. Ugh. But then we have our last little, just little, like, 15, 20 second scene of the episode. Uh, Susan, who is just so in love with little Susie, just cradling little Susie. And just a fade out of the episode with Susan singing Blackbird in much less yelly fashion (laughs) than we heard it earlier. Mm -hmm. So a much more loving. Yeah, much more loving way. Thank you. I couldn't think of a word. So that was an episode. It was um, it was something else. Like I said, I I think kind of my feelings on the genie Peter interaction there at the end, where it was, I think that kind of sums up my feelings on the episode as a whole. You know, like it's different, it is um, starkly so, and I think that it is kind of a mixed bag in as far as like certain aspects of things that he tries that are different in this episode. I think work really well kind of chief among them being Chloe when that that drug overdose comes in I think that is probably for my money the best application of the Tarantino sort of style in this episode and then other elements like Lauren said they feel like kind of an awkward fit for this show Um, but I don't hate the episode I think it's a solid episode overall and I think it it does what it needs to do to further us along towards the end of season one which is coming up next week so i think plot wise it's there but it's just it's the execution that loses me Mm -hmm. see and i think plot wise it's okay but i think the for my tastes the execution and just all the different shots and just how they're how different things play out i think it's top five of the season for me personally that's that's my hot take of tonight yeah that, and see now and this will probably be something that we can get get into deeper detail with because i think i would need to really take a step back and look at the season as a whole to really like appreciate what my top five would be for episodes for this season but my gut tells me this would probably be somewhere in the like 10 to 12 range for me like it's up there it's it's not one of, it's not in the the lower half of episodes for the season but i don't know that it would crack my top five but I don't know, like I said, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to take a step back at the season as a whole and see see what stands out to me. But we'll, we can get into that on our season recap episode. I would, like I said in the beginning of the episode, 
everyone, I would definitely recommend you go back and watch this one because it's a very, very visual episode as well. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we've talked a lot about different shot framing and different, uh, just the different cinematography aspects of the episode. I highly encourage everyone to go back and rewatch this. Watch this one and let us know your thoughts. We'd be happy to hear from you. All right, well, that should just about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards, once unlocked, will include a special season recap episode coming soon. A monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment. And also, monthly movie commentaries, where we will watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate if you'd follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that's Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we uh, take a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me frantically tweeting about conspiracy theories of Nook Inc. on my personal Twitter at lobob92345. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thanks once again for everyone very much for listening. Uh, Please join us again next week for the season one finale, episode number 25. And have a great week. 